Hey everybody, Three Point Landing returns after a long time in hiatus. We're here to talk about Star Trek, Star Trek Picard, and oh my god. <laughs> you could just go with Star Trek Picard. <laughs> oh god, wow, 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 wow. One day I'll do the intro, but <laughs> not today, today. Today is not no, that not day. not today. I'm not yeah. going to do it today. Yeah, no problem. I'm enjoying watching you. Yeah, it's fine. I don't, you know, it's really only our producer who suffers. For me, it's practice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. Hey, everybody, welcome to Three Point Landing. Tonight, we're going to talk about Star Trek Picard. Uh, I know it's been a long time since you've heard from us, but uh, we're here to talk about all the video games, movies. Oh my God, I bungled that all over, <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> Nerves. Nerves. All right. <sighs> Welcome to Three Point Landing. I'm your host, Matthew. With me, Misha. I am Misha. I still am. That, that's me. He is Misha. And we're here to talk about Star Trek and Star Trek Picard. Yeah, um, it's been a while since our last episode. Um, last time around, we talked about Star Wars. So now I guess it's only fair that we get to the other big sci-fi franchise out there, Star Trek, which is currently having a kind of a, a renaissance period, if you will. The past couple of years, I've seen the introduction of a new show, Star Trek Discovery. And now we have uh, an even newer show, um, Star Trek Picard, which brings back one of the most beloved characters in the franchise, as played by Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget uh, Short Trek. Let's not forget that one. A great series of uh, short stories set in the Star Trek universe. But right. anyway, Star Trek Picard. Uh, yeah, that's... I think this is a series that genuinely surprised us in the sense that many of us didn't think it would ever happen. You know, I mean, after Star Trek Nemesis, a film that was considered disappointing uh, critically, commercially, and even among fans, you know, it would be reasonable to assume that uh, Patrick Stewart had pretty much hung his hat on that character. You know what I mean? Definitely. And from what I've heard, um, he was very adamant that he had no interest in returning to the role that made him famous to a mainstream audience. He didn't want to come back as Captain Picard because he said that he'd done pretty much everything he could have done with the role. And if he was going to be coming back, it had to be something completely different. It would have to be something that would make it worth his time in the same way that he came back to play Professor X one last time in Logan. Exactly. Like, so what I heard, excuse me for that snort. <laughs> I heard no snort. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, the, you know, he had been invited before, actually, uh, and he had turned down those offers. Right, right. And uh, to, your, to what you said, like the performance he turned in and the script, you know, he got to be involved in uh, in Logan reportedly energized and galvanized like mm-hmm, starts sort mm-hmm. of like will to play the character again right and if anything i think well, what what logan did for him was sort of like lay down the terms of what a swan song for a beloved character that he co-created you know would look like absolutely but seeing as logan was designed as the final adventure of wolverine and professor x i'm hoping that this doesn't turn out to be captain picard's last ride because given what we've seen from the first half of the season he's still got a lot of life left in him yeah yeah i mean i'm of, i'm of two minds of it and i don't mean to say that i'm conflicted what i mean to say is that i think like i think yes i would love to see more adventures with captain picard mm-hmm. and and clearly patrick stewart despite being close to 80 years years old is very lucid and very capable of you know really expressing the full range of an act of a of 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 emotions and like mm-hmm, range that, mm-hmm. that that an actor 
at the peak of his career could have. Right, right. Uh, there's also this like worry that maybe he won't like stick around, you know, long enough to really see that character through. So it's like I had hoped for him to do it as a way, as a way to close the book on the character, right. the way that Professor X had the book closed on him. But at the same time, hearing reports that they've renewed for a second season yes. and that he's still excited to do more yeah. about more Picard is also like super interesting. Like, I think it's encouraging actually yeah. that he's still got a passion for it, that he's still excited for it, and um, I can't wait to see what they come up with. But um, just maybe a little background. I mean, what 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 do you remember of the character? He hasn't been on screen for twenty years at this point. What do you as a casual fan go into this um expecting what what do you think okay so like um for me picard has always been the the gentleman captain the diplomat captain Mm -hmm. you know uh that's sort of like captain who's born from an era of like you know the united nations being you know setting the terms of geopolitics so he's very much like this captain who lived who comes from a very supposedly enlightened political context and that to me is the character i expected to see Mm -hmm. uh in every iteration that ever comes out whether it's in video games or in movies right and so this series surprised me because it's taking place 35 years or 30 years I don't remember really uh, after the last time we had seen the character um, really sets a completely different political context where he's no longer you know he's no longer the great captain mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting take on the character like he's had his golden age you know people still speak probably at one point spoke of Picard in reverential terms and now he's just sort of like he's just a relic from a bygone era and I think what really worsens that for him for the character as we see in the show is that he had a sort of falling Fall from grace mm-hmm. in a because of things that happened before the series started. Okay, well, for my part, I mean, as a longtime fan of the franchise, um, I, I I own way too many books and DVDs and Blu-rays on the subject. But for me, going into this, I agree with you for the most part. Captain Picard was always more cerebral. He was always more of again. I, I agree with you. He was the gentle, the consummate gentleman captain. He was essentially the epitome of what the franchise represented. Mm-hmm. Whereas Captain Kirk, who came before him, William Shatner, was more of a cowboy. A swashbuckler. A swashbuckler, absolutely. And Captain Sisko on Deep Space Nine was more of, you know, he was like the sheriff who stands alone mm-hmm. in a one-horse town. The renegade cop. Mm-hmm. And Captain Janeway would change from week to week depending on what was happening. <laughs> I'm sorry, that woman was, you know... She was a great captain when when she had to be. Yeah. But there were other days where she just didn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to turn this into an impassioned defense of Voyager, but like as no, much as I love uh, yeah, Voyager, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah, as much as I love Voyager, that is absolutely freaking true. Her character she... <laughs> was incredibly mercurial or mutable depending mm-hmm. on the whims and interests of the writers. That is true. Or maybe even what Kate Mulgrew felt like from week to week. I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget yeah. she loathed Seven of Nine at the beginning. Yeah. But we'll get to that later on, okay? But as far as Captain Picard goes, it was with great shock and amazement that um, we heard this news a year ago or so that he would be coming back to play the part, that, that Patrick Stewart was coming back to play the part. And um, it, it, it made one a little bit nervous. Like, you, can you really recapture lightning in a bottle? Can you really yeah. bring us back to 20 years ago, the last time he played this role and still have that kind of um that kind of authority, that kind of credibility? But judging by the first half of the season, not even the first half of the season, even the first episode, he he just nails it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Of all the things that I that you could nitpick or complain about on this show, he is not one of them. Yeah, well, you know, I I think I think Patrick Stewart and you know, there there's certain kinds of actors who come to embody the roles that they played for so long that they could perform these roles in their sleep. Oh, but uh, he, he, but he doesn't act that way. He doesn't he never phones it in. Oh yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, when, when I mean acting the sleep, that's not a, that's not an insult. That's saying that this person lives, breathes, and has internalized the character to such a degree that you know, I I feel like I have never I've never had the privilege to work with Patrick Stewart. <laughs> but I, I, one would imagine that you turn to him and you snap your fingers and say Picard on, and he'd be like instantly <laughs> up, you know, like playing the character like nothing happened. Fair enough. Three point landing. So the show is set 20 years after the last film, um, pretty much taking place in real time, as it, as it were. Yeah. Captain Picard, who has since been promoted to Admiral and retired, is living happily on his family vineyard, a place where he swore he would never, ever end up. Um, that's why he, he went into Starfleet, because he didn't want to go into the family business. He didn't want to do what was expected of him. Yeah. But I don't know if people remember, but... Back in Star Trek Generations, Picard's first feature film, his elder brother and his nephew, who would have continued on the family tradition, they died in a fire. Mm-mm. And so um, it seems that Picard has picked up the family business, um, which um, was hastened in no small part by his participation in um, uh, some, court, some sort of scandalous event. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you were saying something about how he swore he would never return to do, mm-hmm. do that family business. <clears throat> I, I got to tell you, you know, you say some shit when you're 44 years old, <laughs> you know, you're like, I'll never do this thing. 33 years later, whole new perspective. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was uh, a tumultuous 44-year-old uh, yeah, when he yeah, made that yeah. proclamation. Re- rebellious at 44, bucking the family. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so this this great tragedy that just alluded to from the very beginning of the episode is his participation in a rescue effort to to save the people of of, of Romulus Romulus yes to yeah. save the Romulan people from a, a great uh, supernova event yeah their sun was going to explode yeah and, it, and that's the event that um, sent Spock to the past yeah in the Star Trek reboot uh, yeah I was going to get to that like Sorry. not n- yeah not 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 necessarily relevant to hmm. the season but but, but 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 attentive fans such as you know <laughs> such as us will know that the cataclysmic event that is causing the Romulan, Romulan sun to explode is the same event that precipitated the events of Star Trek the reboot movie 2006 2009 9 I think yeah 2009 yeah yeah so so yeah. this is this this is the this explosion is the one that Spock Prime tried to save mm-hmm. this but is anyway. what sent Leonard Nimoy and Eric Bana to the past and yeah. that's where they met Chris Pine and yeah. all his friends yeah so that's a little bit of easter egg there but what's important to what what's happening on Picard's side of the fence is trying to evacuate the Romulans and I think the rescue effort goes like wrong, it goes dis- uh, disastrously wrong when synths, like when a bunch of synth rebels sabotage right. a the bunch of androids. Right. Yeah, a bunch of android re- rebels like sabotage the rescue effort, and it lead directly leads to the banning of all synthetic right. life. Right, and that might seem like really inconsequential, but you realize that if you know the character of Picard, that that is something personal to him because his best friend happened to be a a synthetic life form. Right. Which unfortunately brings us back to Star Trek Nemesis, which was a truly, truly terrible film, if we're going to be honest, where Tom Hardy played a young Patrick Stewart and they were 
they basically fought over I don't even remember what. And um, the android commander Data had to sacrifice himself to save the Enterprise and save everybody. And he was like the Prince of Remus or something like that, right? Or something… Um, he was um, he was a failed he was a clone of Picard from a failed operation. But to he was leading eventually the replace him, and um, eventually he took over the Romulan Senate and he lured the Enterprise out to Romulus on the pretense of peace talks with the full intention of just murdering Picard or draining him of his blood or something. Something whatever. Like he, I think he lived on the dark side of Remus, so even then, darkness was his ally. I. I don't. Ugh. I try and block out that movie. Let's get back to Picard. All right, all right, all right. So the show has the uh, the retired admiral living on his chateau happily, minding his own business, just wallowing in his self pity for having failed to save the Romulans. When a news crew comes along on the anniversary of his failure, and um, they ask him um, what he's been doing here all this time, and they ask him why he retired. And I think that scene, that that single scene is what encapsulates the entire show in a nutshell. Um, It's this member of the old guard, in this case Picard, um, being forced to contend with a brave new world, one that he doesn't necessarily recognize, one that he doesn't necessarily subscribe to, but he is nevertheless steadfast in his principles and his beliefs to the point that he's recused himself from what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so moving forward, everybody, spoilers, but everything. Yeah, knock yourself out. We were five episodes in. Come on. What do you think of the show so far? Like, how do you feel about all everything that's happened past that point? Past that point, um, episodes one through three or even one through four were a slow burn. That's to be sure. Mm. Which I don't mind, actually. I don't mind a slow burn as long as it's going somewhere. I mean, like, look at the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, right? Before it got serious. No, I'm not kidding. Before the last couple of seasons, Game of Thrones was a brilliant show. And I have no issues with um, table setting, as it were, with Mm -hmm. world building. That's great because they have to show us what's happened in the world of Star Trek since 20 years ago. They have to show us what's happened to characters that we once knew, that we once followed from week to week. Because let's face it, Discovery is a prequel. So it has next to no bearing on what's happening here. Mm. For the most part, no, not for the most part. For all intents and purposes, this is the first new Star Trek, chronologically speaking, since 2002. Since Nemesis bombed at the box office. I think what you're trying to say basically is that this is the first ever piece of new Star Trek that actually takes place at a point in time beyond like the furthest in the continuity we've ever seen. Yeah, I guess you can put it that way. Unlike uh, not counting, of course, like apocryphal stuff like the video games and, you know, comics and all that. No, basically if it's not on the screen, it never happened. Yeah. So… I think it's fascinating. Um, from a fan point of view, it was fascinating to see what the Federation's been up to. It's also terrifying to see what the Federation's been up to in that they were once what you said. They were the United, they were the United Nations of space, right? Yeah. But here, they seem to be reverting to some… They seem to be um, de-evolving. Regressing, I believe, is the word you're looking thank for. Thank you, thank you. They're regressing to some sort of an isolationist, xenophobic organization that's more concerned with preserving the status quo yeah. than actually doing the stuff that they were formed to do. Namely, you know, seek out new life and explore and and um, expand their knowledge. Um, now, they're more concerned with things like um, politics and um, reputation. 
or 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 um, border security. <laughs> well, you know, you might you might be able to enlighten me about this better than anyone else, but I always felt like there's a difference between the Federation and the Starfleet. Right. 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 right? So. What happens is is that I feel like Federation is, has always been a political entity. It's That's always, the UN. Yeah. Has, right. The Federation has always been about, you know, sort of like policing the relationship between different uh, cultures so that they can um, exist in, in peaceful coexistence. Right. While Starfleet was the exploratory arm. And I feel like what happened here in the show is that once Starfleet used to be, its mandate used to be to go out and explore and yeah. seek out new life. Yeah. Uh, reach out to other people, help them, and all that stuff. Now it's that regression that you describe is is made most manifest in the fact that Starfleet's mission has turned inwards, right. has become sub and whole. It has always served the interests of the Federation, but now it's more subservient to the Federation. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what's kind of I don't know if it's off-putting or if it's um it's just the way of the world. Okay, but. I believe that Patrick Stewart said that a lot of this was done intentionally to try and reflect um, the state of the world now as we live in, which has actually turned off a lot of the old school fans who've been following the show because they um, subscribe to the fact that the Federation Starfleet has always been, their existence has always been uh, representative of some kind of a utopia. I think what 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 I, I I see what this manifests to me is like people have become accustomed to the idea that Starfleet and Federation could be trusted in any version of Star Trek to be inherently noble, right? And so now that they're seeing a version of Starfleet and the Federation that's less than that, it's very disheartening for them as fans. Absolutely, and that's why that's why Black Ops um, organizations like Section Thirty One from Deep Space Nine and and on um, on Discovery. That's why organizations like that are looked on with suspicion because they go against the grain of what this organization is supposed to stand for. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how Picard with his old world, with his old school values, um, comes up against the powers that be who are just trying to maintain the new status quo. And um, if you look at his dialogue in the first episode where he says why he left Starfleet, he said it was because that it was no longer Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's very telling of who he is as a character mm-hmm. and also where the show is going to be taking us. It's really a one last mission kind of uh, narrative where, mm-hmm. you know, the old guard comes out for one last round. So how do you feel? Okay, so there's this one important uh, piece of plot that is crucial to Picard's journey, which is the existence of a young woman named Soji right. and uh, Daj. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel about that character? So she's presented basically as this sort of this person who has an emotional connection right. with Patrick Stewart, who with sorry with Picard, and sort of seeks refuge with him and. She's taken off the. Yeah, not, go ahead. We're doing spoilers. We're yeah, doing spoilers. She, she gets killed. So, yeah. so, so, so Dodge, Dodge get, gets killed. Gets killed, and mm-hmm. so distraught is is Picard that he needs answers for why Dodge was killed, mm-hmm. and he discovers that Dodge has a twin sister, mm-hmm. and now he his entire mission is built around that on this journey to find Soji and ostensibly rescue her. Right. And so along, how do you feel about oh, that? And how does that dovetail with like all the setting and, you know, world okay. building that you talked about? Um, 
something I've, I I've actually I rather liked um, Dodge the mm-hmm. way she was presented to us. She was like fully formed. She was a, a a sympathetic character. She was easy to like, and she was gone too soon. I mean, yeah. as ridiculous as it, as that sounds, she was essentially the sacrificial lamb on which the entire narrative hinges. Yeah, because um, it's her loss, her death. That spurs Picard into action in the first place yeah. to hunt down. I mean, to 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 ser- to search for her twin sister, so that he can you know save her or protect her from nefarious elements. Mm-mm. In this case, Romulans um, who have um, vested interests in ma- interests in making sure that Soji never sees the light of day. Um, and part of the reason for that is it is revealed early on that. Dodge and her twin Soji are actually androids. Mm. They are actually the, the android offspring of the dearly departed Commander Data. And they were built by one Bruce Maddox, um, the Federation's foremost expert in um, cybernetic research, who um, for longtime fans will recognize as being the guy who tried and failed to get permission to dissect data and essentially make a workforce that would essentially be synthetic slaves Mm. okay Picard stood up against him because he said data didn't want to do that and data uh, it it all came to a head in a trial in the only good season 2 episode Measure of a Man um, where they argued that data had the same rights and privileges as any biological member of the federation as any biological citizen and the cool thing about that was that Data didn't take it personally, being an android, to the point that <laughs> he actually kept up correspondence with Bruce Maddox in the years that followed. Mm-mm. So to hear that Maddox would have tried to build his own androids based on Data schematics and whatnot in this film, uh, in this series, that that was quite interesting for me actually, especially when we see that part of the tragedy that put um, Captain Picard into retirement was an android workforce Mm-mm. that went berserk. So for me, it's interesting in how this series draws a lot from pre-existing lore. And um, I liked the premise that they were building on on the lore. What I didn't, that I wasn't so crazy about was episodes two, three, and four were kind of slow going, honestly. Mm. They, they were really slow. Yeah. Okay. Like for me, episodes two, three, and four, I didn't mind them so much. But I will. I have conceded before that my uh, that I'm a little bit. I wouldn't say shallower, but I'm very easy to please in terms of like you know uh, what is delivered to me on on television. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm enjoying things in the moment, right? I'm not really worried about scrutinizing them in the big picture until I'm done with all of the episodes. Right. Right. So, right. So, but. Right now, there are lots of big question marks hovering over my head about this series. Like, you know, in terms of pacing, in terms of how they distribute information, mm-hmm. in terms of how they withhold information so that the, player, the, 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 watch, the viewers can be like, ooh, ah, in mystery. Yeah, yeah. But uh, how do you feel about, like, the, the way the story is unfolding? Okay, let me be honest. Again, what I mentioned earlier was I was beyond excited to see this show. I mean, yeah. I couldn't wait until the premiere, honestly. And I'm still excited every week. Are yeah, you excited? so am I. I'm yeah. I'm still excited every week. Yeah. But what I am kind of not entirely enjoying is the somewhat unnatural unnatural grafting of of prestige TV hallmarks onto mm. this classic property. No, 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 let me explain, okay? It's not a case of 
I don't like the CGI. I prefer models. You know, I prefer plastic models against the blue screen. It's not like that. I mean, mm. I don't mind that everything is a shiny new coat of paint. I don't mind that everything looks completely different because if you'll remember, like the old Star Trek movies look completely different from the show. Yeah. That's fine. You know, things and also, change. And also things these, change. And also these things need to be visually consistent with 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 Discovery. Even though Discovery takes place hundreds of years before, like under the new renaissance of right, Star Trek, right. you need to create a unifying like visual brand that is distinct from what was created 18 years ago. That's true. That's why even if something like like Doctor Who that's been around for like 55 odd years, uh, yeah. you know, even that show, um, for all the new bells and whistles, they have no qualms about tweaking their own Designs, their, their yeah. own mythology or yeah. their own their own past to, yeah. to suit what's happening here and now. And that's fine with me. But what I'm talking about more is um Things like the um, things that are seem incongruous to Star Trek. Now, I'm not saying there's no room for cursing, for example, but the way it's handled here is just so callous. It's so forced that you you feel that they only included it to justify the rating of the show. Mm. Like there's at one at one point an admiral chews out Picard and she accuses him of having sheer fucking hubris. I mean that that literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah, especially when sheer hubris is a pretty powerful ac- accusation Absolutely. on its oath. Yes. That doesn't require the use of an F-bomb. <laughs> right. Now, as much as the Discovery guys justified their F-bomb back in in the first season with um, an, an inexperienced ensign, here we're talking about the CNC, the commander-in-chief of Starfleet. I want to, I, I think I could, I think I will nitpick in defense, in support of that argument, which is Go that, for it. which is that, when when people of Picard's time and later start dropping f bombs and 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 saying all manner of expletives, it feels jarring because you're not accustomed to hearing that around that milieu. Right. But at least Star Trek Discovery takes place at a rawer time, rawer, 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 rawer? Uh, at a more raw time <laughs> for the Federation. Rawr. So you kind of expect this degree of like of informality, okay, from an untested so. crew. Maybe so. Yeah. So. So I feel like I feel like yes, no, reduce the profanity in 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 Picard while while in in Discovery, leave it as it is. Maybe fine, fair enough, because they're still finding their way and all yeah. that sort of thing. They're not yet they're not yet the enlightened enlightened humans of the twenty fourth century. Yeah, but in this case with Star Trek Picard, you know, it really just sticks out more. It honestly does. It sticks out more when people are cursing. It sticks out more when all of a sudden we have. Um, Graphic violence, which in concept, I have no issue with graphic violence. But sometimes you can tell that they just put in a fight scene every now and then just to shake things up. Mm. As opposed to actually serving the plot. Like there's a there's a sequence where the chateau is invaded by Romulan spies. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everyone turns into James Bond. <laughs> like Picard knows where the hidden guns are. You know? Yeah. That, that his Romulan housekeepers have stashed conveniently. I thought they would look more like, they were more like... Uh... Three Chow Yun fats in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I take the most issue with is the mystery box there. format. Honestly, yeah. the mystery box format, if you're not familiar, is something that J.J. Abrams came up with on Lost and Felicity and even a- and well, even Felicity and Alias. That's something where he and his guys come up with a mystery that has to be answered. But before the end of the show, you don't necessarily know what it is. You don't necessarily how we're going to get there. But the as the episodes go by, they just keep on revealing 
uh, smaller and smaller boxes in between I- I- inside the bigger ones. Yeah, like so every mystery you solve reveals a new one, right? Yeah. And in this case, in Picard, that mystery doesn't entirely feel organic or engaging. And I'm sorry, but it's just not interesting to see him trying to get to Soji on the board cube when we've known everything we need to know about her since the first episode. Yeah. You know, I'll have to agree with you on this one uh, in the sense that, okay, so Abrams didn't originate the mystery box, but right. it's definitely like... It, it, but he, he popularized but it. But even, even before Abrams' descent into ignominy following Rise of the Skywalker, the, the, the director-producer has always been criticized for this kind of storytelling approach because he tends to put the mystery cart before the horse, so right, to speak. Right, right. In the sense that he wants he's using he's using it as a MacGuffin to to attract uh, viewer interest without actually having a plan in mind for how he intends to answer that curiosity. Right. And the other thing that you spoke to, which I'd like to affirm, is that sort of insincerity, falseness, and deceit that seems to come with the approach uh, from its worst practitioners, including Abrams mm-hmm. and Alfred, mm-hmm. which is uh, we see Soji and. They gave us so much information of Soji, so now we're no longer as invested no. in, 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 in following her plot. But at the same time, they also tend to, uh, without spoiling things, they tend to withhold certain bits of information from us for the sole purpose of making it so that they can set up a reveal later. Uh, without spoiling things, and I'm very, being very specific about not spoiling this, there is a situation where a character's arrival in a scene uh, seems kind of puzzling and mysterious. Right. And little alarm bells were sounding off on my head. And I just thought that was either uh, lazy writing or writing born out of a necessity to be efficient, to just skip over beats so that they can get to where they need to be. Right. But it turns out later that that character does reveal a, a, a deceitful or at least dishonest streak. And I'm like, and when that happened, I was like, oh, you were only able to pull this off by lying to my face. Exactly. Exactly right. Another example precisely of that, of characters withholding information just because it serves the plot, but it doesn't actually make any sense. I know you haven't seen the sixth episode yet, but there's a sequence there where... You can drop the spoilers on me. Uh, it's, I think it's minor, a, a single episode is minor enough out <laughs> of enough. a series of five. Okay, and the sixth the... episode, Reformed Borg, Hugh asks i mean picard says we got to find soji right yeah and then hugh the the former borg tells him why what's so special about her and picard's all like no time to explain where is she i'm like dude you how how long would it have taken to explain how long that was the most blatant for me i'm like jesus christ this reminds me of a moment in a in a very uh wildly derided moment in video games where a character once said, <laughs> I don't have the time to explain why I don't have time to explain. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Uh, That's exactly what it sounded like. But make no mistake, it is fun seeing old characters again. I love seeing Cap- Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. He hasn't missed a step. I don't agree with everything they're doing with the old guy, but it's just fun to see him and he's clearly enjoying himself. Yeah, I mean, you know what? That's probably the best part of this series and I'd like to end uh, the that note is that everybody in it is excellent mostly Picard mostly Patrick Stewart yes you know and that alone is kind of like the reward of watching the show even if it does resort to a little bit of like narrative trickery to to get where it wants to go but you know beyond the first season of the original series 
literally every Star Trek show that followed had a terrible first season. That is true. That's not even an exaggeration. And, you know, they, they, they were going to get second season supposedly. So, yeah. you know. So maybe they'll find, they'll get their act in order. Yeah, yeah. But as far as familiar faces go, I'm, I'm really digging seeing um, like what Seven of Nine has been up to. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying hearing little snippets of familiar characters. I mean, all the name dropping that they do every <laughs> now and then. But I just, some things just really leave you scratching your head. It's like, like they maybe, I don't know, did they rush this or did they, they just, did they just not have a plan um, before they started shooting? Because some things just feel contrived or stretched out to the point of uh, inanity, honestly. I mean, you, you know, you said so yourself uh, on the way to, on the way here to the studio. You said that the showrunner is Michael Chabon, and I right. th- I believe this is his first TV show he's running. Yeah, but the guy's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. You'd think he would know something about narrative structure, characterization, yeah, but, plot, pacing. Yeah, but when you're collaborate, you know, you can have control over all of those things and all the luxury to edit and go over those things when you're working alone. But when you're working with a team of 20, 30, 100 people, you know, it could be different. I mean, I don't want to make excuses for the guy necessarily but you know we're still watching the show we're still yeah, really, we are. we're still jazzed as but look. how much of that of that continued watching comes from the fact that you already loved this character before the show even started versus anything the show has done on its own that and I also really love Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair okay fine 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 three point landing Okay, but what, what what do you think? I mean, what 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 do you enjoy about the show? I enjoy, you know, I enjoy, you know, like, like even if the narrative is like faulty, I enjoy the new themes. Yeah, I enjoy the new ideas. I enjoy things like like that that warrior monk race of mm-hmm. assassins that that uh, joins uh, warrior nun. Uh, yeah, warrior nuns. That that those those guys are pretty cool. You know, I loved I loved some of the Romulan intrigue. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. it's not it's not entirely new, but it's still fun to have it especially may- since we don't see Romulans in literally every incarnation of Star Trek may I just say I love Picard's snarky Romulan housekeepers oh yeah those guys are cool those <laughs> guys are, are cool. amazing uh-huh. especially Irish Romulan mom yeah right yeah they're, they're, they're boss yeah, yeah they are they're kind of awesome and I yeah. like that they put a different face on these traditional traditional Star Trek bad guys you know they show that uh, they come in all shorts in all, in all shapes and sizes they're, <laughs> they're not all just devious schemers with bowl cuts and shoulder pads <laughs> yeah and uh, that is it for Star Trek Picard. Yeah, um, there's five, four episodes to go uh, for a 10-episode first season. Yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes, and I really, really hope they stick the landing. Yeah, um, but hey, great Star Trek, uh, great time to be a Star Trek fan, at least. Yeah, um, there's at least two animated series in production. Um, supposedly, there's like a new show and a new movie in production. We don't know who's going to be making it, what it's going to be about, who's going to be in it. But the recent uh, Paramount-CBS merger with um, has reunified all the disparate part disparate parts of the franchise. So oh, that's right. The television empire the, and the right. movie empire. So hopefully we'll be seeing more cohesion um, in the franchise. Something akin to what we had back in the 90s where things that happened in the shows had repercussions on the films and vice versa. You mean like a cinematic universe? Ooh, that sounds like an episode. (laughs) (laughs) We'll totally get into that at some point. Uh, All right, cool. I don't know. How do we end this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I thought I had it when I, you know, um, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, I it's okay. It's all talking. useful information, but uh, I keep talking. Uh, no, you, Misha just loves Star Trek. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is it uh, for Star Trek Picard. Uh, this is uh, Three Point Landing. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and follow us on Facebook. Uh, peace out. What the hell was that? That's it, a th- don't try and make that a thing. That's not your thing. It will not be your thing. It's called panic. <laughs> I don't know what was, the heck that was. I was panic. <laughs> Three Point Landing is recorded at Big Baby Studios. Follow us on Facebook at Three Point Landing PH.